There's an ongoing argument in the world of magicians about whether or not magic is an art. We hear that phrase all the time, the art of magic. Now, mostly, who cares? Just do the best work you can do and call it whatever you like. I don't know how there can be a qualification for being an artist other than wanting to be one. So if that's you, congratulations, you're in. But here's the thing. Buried under the irrelevance of the magic slash art debate, there's an important lesson. There's a more important conversation in there that can help make our work more effective for the audience. But to get there, we have to talk just for a minute about Shakespeare. You're listening to Everything But The Flame. My name is Nate Staniforth. Welcome to episode three. So then I started to be interested in these things that mystified people. There it is. That's the magic part. A classical trick of magic. And I knew right then and there that I was being called to be a magician. Thank you very much once again, everybody, for viewing in. Shakespeare has been a mystery to me for most of my life. And the more I learn about his work, the more mysterious it becomes. Let me explain. Like everyone, I read Romeo and Juliet in school. And as a teenager, I acted in Twelfth Night in the role of Sebastian. And I think I can speak for everyone in the cast of our high school play when I say that none of us really had any idea what was going on during the show. To a modern teenage audience, the language in Shakespeare is so unwelcoming and unhelpful that you can literally play one of the lead roles and still need the cliff notes to have any idea what you're doing up there. But here's what happened. In the years after this unfortunate introduction to Shakespeare, he kept coming up. I couldn't get away from him. My favorite writers kept mentioning him with awe and envy and love and fear. People, lots of people, smart, clever people with good taste and no reason to bullshit me, would refer to Shakespeare as not just the most famous writer in history, but as the best, the best of the best, a genius above all other geniuses. Hemingway loved him. Melville loved him. Faulkner loved him. Tolstoy hated him. But I'm convinced that was just jealousy. Time magazine named William Shakespeare a playwright among the top 10 most important people of the millennium. So what the hell? Here's this body of work that appears from the outside to be insurmountable. And yet the people who take the time to climb all the way to the top of this mountain are almost unanimous when they tell you that the view from up there is among the finest in the world. What are they seeing? What are they finding? And for our purposes, What does any of this have to do with a magic show? If we take a step back, the question of magic and art is really a larger question about entertainment and art. Because here's the problem. If you're a magician, you can talk about art and transformative experience and fill notebook after notebook with all of the groundbreaking innovative work you want to do. Because we know, magicians know, how powerful and meaningful a good performance of magic can be. But in our culture, magic is associated most closely with juggling, with spectacle, with entertainment. You may well be able to give the audience a mind-expanding experience with your magic. But that's usually not why they bought the ticket. That's usually not why they hired you. And so, for a working magician doing walk-around at a restaurant or a keynote performance at a corporate event... 
or an after-dinner show for the Greater Kansas City Area Tradesmen Association, creating art with your magic is often a matter of nestling inside that entertainment a much larger experience. And the reason I'm bringing Shakespeare into all of this is because that's what he had to do, too. In Shakespeare's time, the theater was not high art. It was a massive commercial public entertainment. The alternatives for the theater-going crowd were animal fighting and public executions. We think of Shakespeare now as maybe the prime example of high art legitimate theater. But in his day, the audience would drink beer during the show and cheer the heroes and boo the villains and throw food scraps at the characters they didn't like. It was a loud, rowdy, vibrant, raucous crowd. Going to the theater was more like a night at the pub than a day at the museum. And Shakespeare's plays were written deliberately to work in this environment for those people at that time. And he was a hit. Shakespeare was a massive, commercial, popular hit. His shows, and long before they were books we all were assigned to read in school, they were shows. His shows filled the theater night after night after night. Hamlet was not a high, remote, literary ornament for the cultural elite. It was a smash hit. It was Star Wars. It was Hamilton. And, and this is not to say that it wasn't one of the most astonishing works of artistic creation in the history of the world. But also, it was fun. There's a ghost and a murder and a scandal. And under all of that spectacle roiling under the surface, there's a psychological thriller, a mystery. Why does Hamlet wait to avenge his father? What does he know? And so you come for the story. You come for the entertainment. But pretty soon you're deep into the blood and guts of humanity. Love and fear and sex and death and betrayal and friendship and power. And whenever the show is in danger of slowing down, here's a sword fight, here's another murder, here's the ghost again. So, so you have these moments, exciting moments and frightening moments and moments of action and danger pulling you along. And then between them and among them and through them, we also get this profound and pointed interrogation of the human spirit. So what do you do with that as a magician? This is all fine as a discussion in a podcast that you listen to while you're in the car or doing the dishes. But how do you put any of this into the work? Let's return to the problem I laid out earlier in the episode. If you're a magician, you can talk all you like about the great art you want to create with your magic. But if you're hired as an entertainer to do an after-dinner performance at a company holiday party, they are going to expect you to do some entertaining. It's one thing if you're working in a beautiful theater with your name on the ticket and a line of people out the door waiting to see you, your work, your art, your magic. But every working magician I know has found themselves at one time or another working at a private function or corporate event and standing in front of a room filled with real estate agents or bank workers or trade show attendees who are all three beers into an open bar on the company tab. And, and in that moment, maybe not all that dissimilar to the raucous audience swaying at the foot of the stage at Shakespeare's Globe Theater. What, what do you do then? How do you make your art there? And let me just say, before we go on, as a performer, the temptation in that moment is to say to yourself quietly, 
you know what? I am just going to get through this tough show now, so one day I'll be able to do a better show, maybe a theater show. I'll work as an entertainer now, so someday I'll have the chance to work as an artist. I understand that temptation, but I think there's another way. Look, I'm not a scholar. I don't have an academic interest in the Shakespeare material. I am here in the plays because I'm trying to solve a problem. As an artist, as a live performer, as someone who makes a living by dreaming things up and then putting them on stage. This is not literary analysis. This is me trying to do my homework. Shakespeare's plays obliterate the distinction between art and entertainment. Because the tragedies are filled with comedy. The comedies are filled with tragic moments and public defeats and private catastrophes. And throughout all of them, Shakespeare swings deliberately between high drama and low humor, back and forth, over and over. It's almost like boxing, where he's jabbing you again and again with innuendo and wordplay and the sensational elements of the story that capture or recapture the audience's attention. And then, when he knows you're with him, when you're listening, you're invested in the show. He comes in with a right hook and hits you with some insight or some question or some true moment that speaks to the highest or the deepest or the best or, or the worst in all of us. And he leaves you there for a moment reeling before he brings you back into the play, back into the story. And then he starts jabbing again. Something happens. The story moves on. So here's where this leads us. The question of whether magic is art or entertainment puts the emphasis in the wrong place, on what magic is rather than on what it does. And the moment you shift your perspective away from what it is and away from what you are, artist, entertainer, magician, and look instead to the experience of the audience and what they are receiving from you, two things become clear. First, art and entertainment are not opposites. They serve one another. Hamlet's to-be-or-not-to-be speech may be one of the most important passages in English literature, but it's buttressed on all sides by sword fights and sex jokes and active, deliberate measures taken by Shakespeare to excite and engage and then enrapture and enchant the audience. So that when Hamlet walks to the front of the stage to begin his soliloquy, we're with him, we're ready, we're listening, we care. Second, Of course you have to get the work, you have to fill the seats, you have to get the audience to come to the show, and once they're there, you have to capture their attention and hold it. But once you do, give them something real, give them something vital, give them something true. The issue is not one of choosing to be an entertainer or choosing to be an artist, but one of making a connection between your work and your tired, hungry, distractible human audience meeting them where they are, and then taking them where you want to go. It's one of remembering that, quote, art doesn't have to be precious, that, quote, entertainment doesn't have to be vapid, and that everyone you have ever met is hoping and hurting and waiting for the love of God finally for something to make the hair stand up on the back of their necks again. I just listened to all of this back again. Let me add this. I know there are magicians who think of themselves as entertainers, and there are magicians who think of themselves as artists. And 
that's great. You make magic whatever you want it to be. I'm not saying that one title is better than another. I am saying that when it comes to the choices we make on stage, the distinction between art and entertainment is often unhelpful. That if you want to be an entertainer, great. Entertainment is broad enough to include insightful moments and true moments. And if you want to be an artist, again, great. Part of that is thinking about how to take your audience along with you as you pursue your creative vision. That when you're a magician, you make your art real by sharing it. And in order to share it with an audience, you need them to care. After the episode last week, I received a few really good questions, and I will try to cover them as this series goes on, but I'm choosing the question that you're about to hear because it's so important that we talk about this before we go any further in the series. This is from a magician named Alec. Hey, Nate. Alec from the Chicago area. So my question kind of starts with a bit of a statement. In the first episode, you talked about, I think, framing our magic and, you know, framing an experience for an audience to present a trick or a routine with purpose that's, that's real to the performer is I think challenging for many magicians because they often still don't understand what they themselves want to communicate. I don't think they know what gives them meaning or purpose or to some extent, even a feeling of authority to communicate what they truly want to communicate. So I guess my question becomes, how do we get there? And I know you just talked about it on this last episode in terms of, you know, creative paths outside of magic to help us kind of reframe and and challenge kind of what we're currently doing. But I think it's that moment of recognition that um, I think sometimes we uh, may find challenging to to identify that. Alec, this is such a good question. I should have started the series with this. Thank you for sending it in. I hear two questions there, and I'm going to answer them one at a time. The first question, if I'm hearing you correctly, is how do I find my artistic or aesthetic or creative vision if I don't have one? It's one thing to talk about taking magic wherever you want to go, but what if you don't know where you want to go? And to begin... Let me say that I think aesthetic vision is maybe just a complicated way of talking about what you like, what you think is good. It's not an expression of your knowledge or your understanding so much as your taste. And fair enough if you don't know yet what you like or what you think is good. First of all, it's great that you're acknowledging that you don't know or haven't found it yet. Because the far more common thing to do is to just pretend that you like what everybody else likes And I think that probably feels hollow pretty quickly. So realizing that you don't know yet is actually a great way to begin and an important way to begin. I think everybody finds a sense of purpose or direction in magic and maybe in any of the arts in their own way. So I can't can't give you a formula, but I will say that it has been enormously helpful to me to actively and deliberately hunt down the great artists and the great works in other fields outside magic and find the work that I like there. Find the books you love, find the movies you love and the music you love. Find the stuff that that shakes you and wakes you up and reminds you that you're alive and that it's good to be alive. The stuff that blows your mind. Find the stuff that inspires you. Because 
all of these sparks of inspiration will together act like a kind of signal fire that guides you toward the kind of work you'd like to create for yourself. It's an ongoing process. I would advocate taking this part of your work in magic, that of deliberately stoking your imagination with good fuel, as seriously as you take the technical side of the craft. Technique can maybe help you get where you want to go, but it can't show you where you want to go. Only your imagination can do that. Your second question, again, if I'm hearing you correctly, is how do you find the authority to communicate what you want to communicate? And again, I can only speak to my own experience on this, but I think that authority comes from the vision. I know I'm using the word vision too much. Let me say it like this. Motivation and drive and the authority to climb up on stage and demand the attention and commitment of an audience, all of that comes from first seeing something with your imagination that should exist but doesn't yet exist. And the only way it's ever going to become real is if you make it real. It comes from having a sense of what magic could be that you care about so much that you're willing to chase it anywhere, from venue to venue and audience to audience. And I'm going to say it again, that vision becomes the motivation for every show. Each performance becomes an opportunity to bring this thing to life and to share it. So for a minute, it, it can become real. Look, it doesn't matter what the magicians of the world think. You don't need anybody's permission. If you can see something as a magician that, that you want to create, even if it's just a glimmer, even if you can't see the whole thing, I hope you'll chase it down and, and never look back. Again, Alec, thank you for your question. I hope that was a useful answer. If you're listening to this and you have a question after this episode, I'd like very much to hear it. Send me a DM on Instagram. Uh, I'm at... Nate Staniforth, which is N-A-T-E-S-T-A-N-I-F-O-R-T-H on Instagram, and I'll get you an email address. Okay, episode three. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. More from me next week.